Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Alamo Draft House in Richardson and season eight of Airtime. Uh, Airtime is presented by the Arts Incubator of Richardson in partnership with Alamo Draft House Cinema. Airtime is an interview series featuring artists and creative thinkers in Richardson and Dallas-Fort Worth area. Airtime is funded in part through the generosity of Eric and Deanna Wise of Wealthstar Advisors and through a grant from the City of Richardson Cultural Arts Commission. We're going without stands tonight, so I'm, I'm going to have to turn my pages. We got it. It is March 13th, 2018, and please help me welcome our artist for the evening, engineer, inventor, artist, and clockmaker, Chris Garcia. Okay, so how many of you in the audience, if you did not know what you were coming for, would think that these were clocks? Okay, well, so we will get into that. So, so Chris, uh, welcome, first of all. Uh, where did your fascination with clocks come from? I've always been interested in clocks. My, I guess the first clocks I remember was my grandmother had a large clock in her kitchen. Uh, we, my dad was in the Army. Uh, when I was in kindergarten, he was stationed in Germany. And... I remember the there was a family that lived across from us. Uh, we lived in a, a big military family uh, facility, and the people when they opened the door, you could look straight, and you could they had a cuckoo clock on their wall. And I just thought it was it was cool because it was so different than what I remember my grandmother's wall clock, which was the same type of clock that I saw at school. And I just thought that's how clocks were, and I just I was interested that uh, you know that it had a pendulum and, and weights and the bird and I didn't know how it worked at the time, but uh, I just I thought it was interesting. Eventually, uh, after college, I I had a basic wall clock that I, I needed to change battery, and I took it down from the wall. I saw how it was made. Essentially, it was a mechanism with hands that were attached to two shafts that poke out of the face, and as those two shafts moves, the hands move along with it, and I thought it'd be cool to make a clock where the face moved instead of the hands. And I worked on that for a little while and uh, eventually didn't like it, so I put it away. And uh, I guess since then, you know, I've just had a curiosity to build my own. Now, what kind of clock did you have on your nightstand growing up? I think just a basic alarm clock that uh, you know, had a little wind-up dial and... So hands, not, yes. not digital. Yes, yes. Did it, did you, I remember I, the clock I had on my nightstand was one of those digital ones that were pre-digital where the little flap would come down and it would have the n next number. It would go click, click. And, uh, and it, it had a radio on it. And that was the big thing for me was listening to the radio uh, as I was going to sleep. What, what, uh, it, it, was there a, a sound that you remember from clocks? Is it the cuckoo? Is it the tick? Is it the buzz? I just alarm clocks. I I'm not a morning person, and I always hated, you know, the the buzzing alarm or the, or the ringing alarm uh, alarm clock. So. so you must have been the kind of kid that uh, took took things apart. Took things apart. Tried to fix things. I in high school, my friends called me MacGyver because I I carried a, a Swiss Army knife, and I was always fixing things for them or. Uh, 
whatever little things they came up with. Now, did you take them apart in order to have the challenge of putting them back together, or was it just to figure out how the parts all worked? Mainly how they worked. I'm, I'm mainly interested in how. So your parents worked. were probably upset as you would go. I can't believe you took apart that, whatever it was. I don't think I took apart too many things. <laughs> I think it was it was. I was always trying to fix something or invent something. When I was in fifth grade, I I thought I had an invention for a type of bicycle seat, and. Uh, Back then, that was when when those uh, information, uh, the uh, invention submission companies, and uh, came out, and I I submitted a a, uh, a patent for a bike seat, and they wanted to charge, you know, crazy amount of money to to patent it, but I we didn't go through with it. But it now that I think back about the bike seat, it, it would not have worked. So I'm glad we didn't spend money on what it. What was what was interesting about this bike seat? So the we had bikes that had a, a type of banana seat that was connected to the wheel, it was connected at two places, the back of the wheel and then in front, I think, and, and I think part of it broke. So instead of the, the seat being able to go up and down like most bike seats do, we were able to move it back and forth. So my invention or idea was to be able to adjust the seat so that you could slide it back. And you know that was my idea. And, and I thought it was good back then, but now I realize it doesn't work because you know weight would have been off balance, and you, people you would have flipped over easily. But oh, details! That was only in fifth grade, so that's what engineers are for. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you you said the kids called you MacGyvers. Do you recall a particularly uh, marvelous MacGyver moment where you saved the day with your Swiss Army knife? We were. I was driving with one of my friends. He wore glasses, and we were driving somewhere and and i realized he wasn't wearing his glasses and i was and i asked him i go well, where are your glasses and he said they were broken and uh i was in the back seat um so i asked him if he had them on him so i he gave them to me and i looked around and i saw a plastic bag in back and using the the plastic bag i was able to wrap because it's elastic was able to wrap the bag and keep the glasses together so he could wear them and be able to see where he was driving. So that would that would be that would be important. Um, so also you he uh, Chris has a marvelous TED talk which if you go to uh, the clock website or the airtime website you should be able to see. Um, in it you you tell the story of saving up your money to buy the watch. Can you tell us that story because I Yeah, so in high school I worked at a Chick-fil-A uh, in El Paso, Texas at the mall and I I think we'd sometimes just walk through the mall and, and I this was in ninety had to be ninety or ninety one and I saw a Movado watch and I loved that it was simple. Uh, no numbers. Uh it only had a uh a gold dot at the top and I just loved the it was minimalist. So I I, I think I, I saved probably for about a month and bought it and I still have it and was this I mean was this a time when people wore watches when there was it was a watch yeah people you know back then I think people had you know I like, always, I, I always wanted the, I the calculator watch right oh. uh, the uh, the Casio uh, calculator watch uh, yeah so I, I wore the watch when I was in high school and then eventually went off to college and, and the band broke and I, I stopped wearing it after that. I haven't worn a watch since then. You haven't worn a watch since then? 
Yes. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So these are uh, Chris's clocks, um, which uh, on the uh, Airtime website were described as clocks disguised as contemporary minimalist art. So what, what kind of art are you ad attracted to? What, uh, what inspires you in the art world? I like, I like Van Gogh. I like uh, the bright colors he used, uh, thick, bold brushstrokes, uh, thick painting. Uh, I like both Monet and Van Gogh because of the bright colors, but Van Gogh because of, uh, more because it's the, it's like he, there's a rhythm to the brushstrokes and you know the curves and how it all kind of waves in and out. I, I really like that. Uh, I also like minimalism. My clocks, my goal was, was to make a, a minimalist type of clock uh, with colors, uh, but yeah, my goal here was, was minimalism. That's interesting with Van Gogh or, or even any of those impressions to see the, the rhythm of the brushstrokes. I've never, I've never thought of it like that. I always see the, the pictures and the colors and the interrelationships in space, but, but you're actually seeing a, a rhythm in them. Well, I don't know if a rhythm is, the, uh, that, that's how I describe it. I don't know if it's, it's the correct, but, but just the, the, the play of the, the brush strokes and um, you know, where, you, where they kind of, uh, the, the, the turbulence. Uh, so. So you spent some time as a visual artist, or at least dabbling in visual art. Tell us about your your work as a painter. I, when I was in college, I think it was my senior year, uh, my mom gave me a uh, a calendar of Van Gogh paintings, and I saw Cypress and Wheatfield and wanted to paint something like it. Uh, my mom painted when I was growing up, so I knew about oil paints and acrylic paint. Uh, just because uh, during Halloween uh, we'd use acrylic paint to we'd paint our face, you know, a ghost or whatever, and so I wanted to make a copy of Cypress and Wheatfield. I didn't know much about canvas, so I I took I was living in the dorm, so I took my twin size bed sheet, thumbtacked it to the wall, and started painting on it, and I did two paintings like that on, on bed sheets, and then did a third on a pillowcase, and after that realized, or you know, was able to afford to buy canvas, so I, I painted on canvas, and I, I painted probably for about a year while I was still in school, and then after I left school, I moved to Austin, uh, didn't have a TV, didn't want a TV. After work, I'd come home and paint. I'd listen to the radio and I'd paint. I probably painted maybe close to 30 paintings, uh, both oil and acrylic, and uh, eventually decided when I started working on clocks that that I should spend my time on clocks. Uh, but I still have all my painting stuff. Eventually, I would like to paint again. So what did you study in college, and how does that relate to what you do today? So I, I got a degree in physics uh, from the University of Houston. I work as a network security design engineer for T-Mobile. Uh, the relation, I think, is just the analytical thinking, problem solving. Um, I'm. I think I view myself, or I think I'm, I'm a problem solver. So I, I liked doing the physics homework. I liked uh, looking at a problem, reading it, and thinking it was really difficult, and being able to, to solve it. So that's I like doing the homework. So what was the what was the spark? What was the challenge that said, "Hey, I want to I want to build my own clock." 
at first was so the uh, I started before I thought of this clock. I, I after working on the clock, I, I uh, thought it would be cool if the face moved instead of the hands. Uh, I got that working, but I didn't like it for some reason, and I put it away for a couple years. And then a couple years later, I had an idea of a clock whose hands moved up and down. Um, and what I eventually wound up building was, if you think of a ruler numbered from 1 to 12, where the hands move up along the numbers and into the body. I worked on that clock for four years. Uh, it was a mechanical movement. So I, I would buy cuckoo clocks or any type of uh, gears, uh, clock gears that I could get a hold of and uh, built the mechanism so that you know the hands would move up along the front of the body and into into the body and uh, kind of circulate. Uh, worked on that four years and then just one day thought that I wanted to make one with lights and uh, yeah. <laughs> and here we are. So do pe do people, are you like the, the, the person in your group that people bring their old antique clocks to to say, hey, can you fix this? People do ask that, and I, I do know, or I think I could fix a cuckoo clock just because I, right now, I probably have close to 25 or 30 cuckoo clocks. Uh, but uh, I, I, I always tell them, take it to a professional. <laughs> so um, so you decided to build these clocks. Why don't you come show us and tell us how these work? Okay. So this clock here shows time, what I call, it's like a cumulative mode where the past hours, past minutes are illuminated. Uh, the blues represent hours. There's 12 hours. So 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 11 five-minute increments, which are uh, shown here as the violet. So 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 55, and four ones. 56, 57, 58, 59. So when I, after building the, the first clock that was mechanical, I wanted to build a clock with lights. I, you know, then thought, you know, that I didn't want to have 60 lights on it because nobody would want to count to 60. So I thought I'd had to have, I'd have to figure out how to minimize the number of markers uh, for both the hours uh, and minutes. I couldn't. I realized that I couldn't minimize the hours, so uh, you know, yeah, I had to have the 12 hours. So then I had to figure out, how do I minimize the number of minutes? Uh, I took out a, a notepad and was trying to figure out the different combinations of, you know, to get to 60, 2 times 30, 4 times 15. Uh, eventually, I, I took out a, uh, a clock, was looking at it, and realized that... Uh, the number marks or where, where the numbers are indicated represent both the hours and five minute increments and what i the way that i could minimize the number of markers was by in between each five was four ones for the one two three four or six seven eight nine and i realized that i could minimize the markers by just using one set of four ones <coughs> which are these one two three four and doing uh the 11 five minute increments and I kind of cheat because I don't get to 60. I only get to 59 because that's all I need. Uh, so after I, I did that, then I was trying to figure out how do I arrange the markers so that <clears throat> I wanted it to be symmetrical, uh, but also I wanted it to be 
uh, well, symmetrical both uh, horizontally and vertically. Uh, then I realized that with 12 item, with 12 hours and 11 fives, they could kind of fit in between each other. Uh, then once I had that, then I had to figure out where to put the four ones. And again, the four ones are symmetrical about the top and the bottom. Um, it would have been nice if I could, could have put the four ones at the three, six, nine, and 12, but that would not have been symmetrical, so I didn't go with that. But I think this works out nice because the four ones are at the two hour, the five hour, eight hour, and the 11 hour. And I use those as a reference point. So I know, I know that's eight, so I know it's seven. Right in between the two and the five is a 30, or no, the 15. So I know that's 715 without having to count. So I use the, where the numbers are, or the, the ones as a, as a reference point. So the difference between this one and this, this is showing time. So once, once I was able to arrange where the markers are, then I realized that I could show time two ways. One is with uh, a cumulative where the past hours and minutes are illuminated. And the other one is, is this one where only what's needed is turned on or illuminated. So the seven hour is illuminated, the 10 minute is illuminated, and the fourth uh, one minute is illuminated. So on this one, it's 7.14. And the one on the right, what time is it on the right one? 7.15. So how many of these have you made? I've made probably close to 20. And where are they, where do they currently live? Most live uh, in my spare bedroom. <laughs> I have one at a, uh, so I've sold a couple. I have one at a uh, furniture showroom uh, by the design district. And I have two at a friend's art gallery in Bedford. And one at a, at a friend's uh, tile showroom in Deep Ellum. Do they get bigger or smaller? Are, there, are they all about this size? The first one that I built is six feet tall. The white one is five feet tall. Uh, I've been building smaller ones, so the ones, most of the ones I've been building lately are, are 12 inches wide and 36 inches tall. And different colors? You just you customize them for? Yes, so the white one is, is uh, aluminum, which is powder coat painted. The wood one is uh, Honduran mahogany. Uh, so I, I build them either out of wood, oak, uh, the aluminum can be powder coat painted pretty much any color. Uh, so the one on the, the white aluminum, that's uh, like a recessed cove type where there's no uh, diffuser. The light is just illuminating uh, uh, an enclosed section. The wooden one, the diffuser, that's uh, acrylic that's been uh, sanded. So only the sanded part of the acrylic glows. And these are LEDs on the inside? Yes, yeah, they're built with uh, red, blue, green LEDs. So you can change uh, the colors that, that are shown based upon the red, blue, green uh, color combination. And I'm hoping that unlike the bicycle seat, you did get your correct patent for these. Yes, so I, I got four design patents for this. I have a utility patent uh, that was issued in 2010. And I, uh, about a month ago, I got another patent issued for another type of clock that is even more minimal than, than these. So. so there are other systems of counting clocks? Yeah. Or <laughs> counting, counting time, rather. Yes, there are many, and there are many. Yeah, I'm always either on Facebook or Instagram. 
I subscribe to many different clock groups, and I'm always looking for different clocks. And yeah, there are many, many ways of showing time. It's it's amazing. Yeah. One of my favorite. One of I have I have two clocks, um, antique clocks. One of and the one that's my favorite is uh, was my grandfather's, and it's a ship clock. And uh, instead of going one, two, three, four, up to twelve, it uh, time is divided in four-hour increments because that's what the watches were. And so it rings one bell, two, two bells, up to eight bells, which is four. And then time, like like our clocks reset at twelves, these clocks reset at fours because that's how long the watches were. Uh, and it's always interesting when people come over, they're like, why did that clock just chime seven bells? And it was, um, but as I was doing some research on the clock, um, before even mechanical clocks, the clocks were, um, the, it wasn't even a clock, it was just a person with a 30-minute hourglass who would turn it over, ring the bell, and when it, he'd turn it over again, ring the bell again, and that was... Uh, the primitive timekeeping. I think that's just interesting. I'm going to look up ship clock. I think that's cool. So you don't wear a watch. I'm not wearing a watch. How many people in here actually have a wristwatch on? And are you wearing it for timekeeping or fashion? All right. So, okay, how many people here under the age of... I'm going to get in trouble here. How many people who would not, who would consider them of a younger generation have a watch on? Two, okay. Um, so, because uh, that's what I, as I was thinking about time and what, I mean, I have my phone and I don't, uh, so I don't wear a watch. Um, do you find that the conceptual... Retwisting of uh, of the idea of a clock is attractive to a more a younger generation who who doesn't have the same relationship to twelve numbers on or or digital numbers. Yeah, I I do think so. I think that lots of people don't want to on my, my clock don't want to waste time figuring out what time it is. So it's. It's it's to, to lots of people. It's lots of trouble, but uh, you know I say yeah. If you don't have to tell time on it, it could just be, you know, cool lights. So, well, and, and I mean, how long do you find that people? How long does it take people to sort of instinctually know, like your Movado time piece that didn't have any numbers? How long does it take people to learn how to read one of these clocks easily without having to go five? 10, 15, 20? I'd say it takes a little practice. I, I, depending upon how often you stared at it, and um, I don't think too long at all. <laughs> <laughs> how long do these clocks take to make? Depending upon the, the type of the material, uh, I could build one probably. So I, I have my regular job, and I, I build clocks outside of that, so it would probably take me a little over a month to build one. And so in the, in the, in the, in the dream job, in the great scheme of things, the plans ahead, what do you, what do you have uh, in store for your line of clocks? And tell me the name of the line of clocks again. So my company name is Evolinia. Uh, it's a combination of evolution and linea as line in Spanish. I 
wanted Lenya to be in there because I essentially that was was my idea was was a type of a linear clock and for me it evolved from the mechanical type of clock with hands to with lights uh, and uh, so this type of clock I, I call it Lucia which is which means light uh, so. and so what are the what are the plans for the for the future of Evelinia so I would like to continue building clocks uh, I'm you know, don't have enough money to to build, uh, you know, to mass produce them. So I, I will continue building them, selling them, and you know, as I can, uh, either improve on the designs or, um, you know, sell what I can to to small boutique places or, uh, uh, you know, furniture showroom. And so, so do you envision this like a, a visual artist would that these are these are single artistic pieces? Or is there a time with the a venture capitalist will take this over and mass market them in China or offshore somewhere? Uh, uh, what I would like for my clocks eventually is for this way of showing time to be widely accepted. Uh, so, yeah, if somebody wanted to do that, that would be nice. But, you know, I think while I build them myself, it's... Uh, it's probably a craft, but um, yeah, but I, yeah, yeah, that would be nice eventually, but that, who knows? I'm trying, to, I'm, I'm trying to imagine it as a watch. How big would it have to be to have enough space on your wrist to have all of the... So the way that I see it as a watch is like a faceless watch, mm -hmm. where it's just a band, uh, where the individual pieces of band that go around your wrist are, are illuminated. Would it go left to right or up and down? It could go like up and down. So like uh, on a watch where you have, you know, the different links where each one of those could be um, the marker. Hmm. I like that. <laughs> Let's uh, open it up for some questions from the audience. In the back over on the left. What is another, you mentioned other ways of thinking about time. What are some other ways that have interested you? So there are, there are a couple where, where it, it's a regular clock face where the 3, 6, 12 are at the regular places uh, where we know what the hour and minute is based upon whether the larger hand or the smaller hand is pointing in that direction. So there are others that use color that uh, maybe outside of the edge or in the body of the clock that illuminate just to show uh, or indicate you know what time it is. I, th I think those are interesting. There are there are some that uh, uh, there was uh, at Art Prize a couple years ago in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, some artists created a clock that was uh, almost like performance art where they had a big camera that was shown over a parking lot and there was a big pile of trash uh, in the parking lot and they simulated that movement of the hands by brushing the trash along to move the numbers and you know they did that for 12 hours so that was that was really cool 
Well, and it would seem that, I mean, the, the simplest, most primitive time, I mean, clock is the sun. The sun comes up, it's time to get up. That's what time it is. The sun goes down, it's time to go to bed. That's what time it is. So you have, you have two dots on the clock. Or the rooster crows. And it's actually, it's quite timely that we're having this discussion today and that we just went through, what did we just go through last weekend? Daylight savings time in terms of, you know, like fake time. Um, and uh, you, you had mentioned you'd, you had uh, done some reading on uh, that it was actually an energy savings. Uh, I always thought it was a, a, a way to get the kids out more. Yeah, I think it was first proposed late 1800s. Uh, eventually, World War I, uh, Germans implemented it to, to save on energy. Um, And I think U.S. implemented it in World War One, and then after that they did away with it. And then again, World War Two implemented it, and then I think in the energy crisis in the '70s was, uh, I guess, was implemented and you know have kept with it. I, I do you, let's have it, can we have a vote of hands of people who like daylight savings time? What is it that you like about daylight? You 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 seem fairly firm in this. What is it that you like about it? But then it wouldn't be a thing. It would just be time. It would just be normal. It would. What's that? Standard time is. <laughs> but but time is relative. Is I mean I mean, it, it, whether you whether you call this five o'clock or six o'clock, it's really just now, and it tells us to do something. You, we could go to daylight savings time, but instead you would get off at work at four rather than five. Okay. So I found in countries that are closer to the equator, or as the closer you get to the equator, that there is no daylight savings. That it's it's because of the tilt of the Earth, where uh, the length of the day varies. So. And that, well, now what about in the far north, where it's dark or light for? It's a dark light for. Hours, something hours. Right, yeah. right, right. That would be completely, completely different. Any more questions down here? Thank you. Uh, more questions in the back? No, no date. I thought that would be, like, people have asked uh, either a 24-hour clock. Yeah, what do we do in Europe? We'd have to have two next to each other. or Yeah, or, or just on top of each other. You would just yes. add 12. You would do what we do. You just add 12. Yes. Over here on the right, there was a question up in the back. Uh-huh. So Hugo is a movie, like what the movie is about, or the relationship. So Air is Air is a program that's put on by uh, Arts Incubator of Richardson. Uh, so it, it's a monthly program where they interview a type of artist or a creative, 
person. And so the interview lasts for 45 minutes. And after the interview is a movie related to uh, the topic that the person is talking about. You said that better than I, 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 I just got the question as soon as you did it. So thank you very much. I will pay you after the show. Um, any more questions? So I have, you, you can contact me off my website. Uh, I have one at a Euro Living uh, on Harry Hines by the Design District. I will have a couple for sale at the Deep Ellum Arts Festival, first weekend of, of April. So there's going to be a, I think it's Artist Village. I'll have a couple there. Uh, Yes. All right. Well, our, our time has come to a close. And it's time for our favorite part of the evening, the, the great tradition of airtime, the top 10 shorties or top 10 short questions. I will give you two choices or a short question, and you give us the first answer that comes, comes off the top of your head. Are you ready? Ready. All right. Question number one. A classic that we've done many, many times. Pie or cake? Pie. What flavor? I want to say cheesecake, but I don't know if that classifies as a pie or cake. <laughs> You're tricky there. All right. <clears throat> Number two. Rolling Stones or the Beatles? Rolling Stones. Chocolate chip or oatmeal? Both. Pop Bellies has really good chocolate chip oatmeal cookies. That's why. All right. Um, for, for wristwatch bands, leather or metal? Leather. Number five, East Coast or West Coast? West. Number six, Eiffel Tower or Empire State? Eiffel Tower. Number seven, the favorite place you've ever traveled? Germany. Number eight, the movie you've seen the most times. Well, um, all I can think of is Any Which Way But Loose. Right. Clint Eastwood. A classic. Number nine, The Wizard of Oz or Gone with the Wind? Wizard of Oz. Number ten, your favorite clock in the world. Tough one. <laughs> While Kitty is coming back up, think about that one. Kitty uh, Goddard, the executive director of Airtime, will close us out. Please help me thank Chris Garcia. Thank you. I'll give you just a little more time to think about the favorite clock. Anyway, and to answer the person's question up there, Airtime is a program of AIR, Arts Incubator of Richardson, and we host six Airtime interviews throughout our season. And um, this is our second to the last interview for season eight, hard to believe. Uh, so the next one is in April, and it is April the 17th, where we will be hosting guest artists uh, Barbara Weinberger and Kurt Kleinman, who are the directors of the Pegasus Theater. And those of you who may have seen their productions at the Eisman Center in Richardson know that they produce incredibly... Uh, effective, exciting, and different 
productions based on black and white movies, but it's a it's a, a play, and uh, they're they're really fabulous. So it'll be fun to hear how they develop their product. So that's on April the seventeenth, and then as I shouted from over there a minute ago, on April the twenty-first. We are partnering with the Church of the Epiphany here in Richardson for our second year as they present their annual crawfish boil and pop-up art event and more. This year we're expanding and it's going to be great fun. There are some postcards on the table back there by the exit, so if you want more information, please take one. Um, and we're excited that not only is the coordinator for the crawfish boil here tonight, but so is his lovely wife, who is assistant pastor at Church of the Epiphany. So thank you all for coming. Anyway, thank you all for coming and taking a break during spring break. And thanks again to Chris and to David. And I'm sure that Chris would love to talk to you more about his clocks and time. And I think they're fabulous. And I... I just thought it was the coolest thing because to me it was like, it was art, but it was telling time, and then there were infinite other possibilities. So thank you both. Anyway, thank you all, and enjoy the movie Hugo. Thank you. <laughs>